Guys, we are living in an age when everybody's got an opinion about something, and today's guest is no exception. Here's the deal, though. Today's guest has earned the right to his opinions. Listen, he graduated as the valedictorian of his high school class. He went on to law school and became the first African-American prosecutor in the city of Memphis, went on to become a successful judge, and then actually became one of the most successful syndicated television programs for many years, bouncing back and forth between Oprah and Dr. Phil, and that is Judge Joe Brown. We had a fantastic conversation with Judge Joe, and I can't wait for you to get into this and listen. Again, Judge Joe's opinions might be a little bit controversial. You might not like them. Here's the deal. He's earned the right to his opinions. He's got time invested. He's got life invested. He's got the battle scars to prove it. So this guy can say whatever he wants. I'll be honest, I don't agree with everything he says, but he makes some really, really, really good points. And I think we need to listen. If you haven't checked him out on Twitter, scroll through his Twitter feed. It's a hoot, but it's also challenging in a really good way. He calls out our culture and he calls out men to be something better. We'll get into the interview right after this. You can be a man of courage, of honor, of integrity. You can be the father, the husband, the leader that your family and your community needs. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Judge Brown, it's great to have you on the show today. I uh, really appreciate what, you know, I was a big fan of of the show when you were on the show and doing the work you did there, but then also just over the years, just seeing you as you do interviews and, and uh, you've done some pretty interesting things and have a lot to say. And I do appreciate your take on things. Uh, one of the interviews I saw recently, you were talking about masculinity, and I think that'd be really relevant to to the guys that listen to this podcast. Um, but maybe we could start maybe a little bit for anybody that might not know you, if you could maybe just share a little bit of your story, you know, kind of your background, where you're coming from. Well, see, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I went to UCLA as an undergrad, went to UCLA Law School, been in Tennessee for half century. Let's see, I worked with poverty law there, EEOC. I was the first black prosecutor they had for the city. I ran the public defender's office for the city, got in private practice right at the end of the 70s. Did a lot of trial law, got elected to a criminal court judgeship, one eight-year term, then got elected to another eight-year term, and somewhere in there with a lot of other stuff that I was doing, including reducing the statewide recidivism average of 80% down to 18%, I got this thing doing televised arbitration out of L.A. Judge Joe Brown show that went for 15 years and I was the number one and number two syndicated show, not just judge show. And there was some hanky-panky going on about why it was only number one or number two. Seems every time I would get up so I would be number one. CBS, which I was part of, would change Judy's rating schedule so she could stay ahead. <laughs> so we were in a select unit where it was Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, Judge Judy, and Judge Joe Brown. 
So when Judge Joe Brown started stepping on Judy's heels, they changed the rating schedule, but wasn't much they could do for Oprah and Phil. So for the last three years, I beat them almost every week in the ratings. But they didn't want you to hear that because I am a straight, a.k.a. heterosexual black man in America. And I believe in ethics, morality, and square dealing. Or well, I'm I, about that. I think that served you well in your time, you know, not only. I on, sleep at night, you know, I go <laughs> snooze, you know. Well, I think that matters. I think we're missing that in our culture today. You know, we, of course you are. It, it's, what I don't like is this thing where they're trying to take down masculinity and people don't get it. They keep calling this thing toxic masculinity, which is nonsense because masculinity is what you put in the head of a young boy from the time he is crawling around in his crib until he gets grown a set of behavioral standards, edicts that he cannot deviate from without a lot of personal guilt feelings and personal pain. And it causes that boy to be a man who is a man of public peace, dignity, and order, who tries to make where he lives a better, safer, more secure place, filled with economic prosperity, sense of purpose, ethics, and morality. He is brave and courageous when necessary. He gives up his seat in the light boat for women and children. That's what it's all about. And some people don't want to hang with that. They don't have the cojones to go deal with it. And I don't respect it because that's not being brave and courageous. And there's nothing wrong with it. We evolved from an apex hunting type animal that depended upon the fellows in the hunting pack to have your back. So when something's about to squash you, somebody would jump in and I put my life on the line to save you. I'll expect a return. We're getting away from that. And that's not a good thing. We're too much into do what you want to do rather than what you ought to do. Oh, my God, shame. We can't have shame. It makes people feel bad. Well, of course it is something that makes people feel bad because that means you are shamed for not doing what you ought to do. So I'm about doing what you're supposed to do. You can sleep well at night, like I said. While we whoop, you have pleasant dreams. It's the truth, though. I think that, you know, somewhere along the line, we just abandoned right and wrong. And I don't understand why we did it. And and it's and there's hypocrisy. There's hypocrisy. I, I don't care what you do in your bedroom. That's your own damn business. Get your freak on. But you see, most straight people keep what they do in the bedroom in the bedroom, but this not gay folk, but this LGBT cult wants to co-join, conjoin what you do in the bedroom with what you do outside of it. It's sort of like, well, I don't know what your audience is, but I could be graphic about it, but I shan't. Let's just put it this way. Um what do your sexual practices have to do about you as a person? I mean, are we going to let this progress or we got a month for those who like to do it doggy style or reverse cowgirl on top? <laughs> Sounds obscenely crazy, doesn't it? it uh, does. We are normal. No, you're not normal, but that stuff happens. I wear glasses, too. I had an operation, so I don't need it now. But I had to wear thick glasses for a long time. So bottom line is, is 
you don't have normal vision if you have to wear glasses. There's nothing wrong with you, except you're not physically normal. But nobody wants to run around bragging about I'm four-eyed because I got to wear glasses or contacts or get uh, retinal changes or lens changes, you see, or get a retinal reattachment. You know, it's just life. You know, you get a broken arm. A lot of folk I knew came back from the NAM with parts missing. That wasn't normal. They kept on doing what they can do, but nobody is supposed to go chop their arms off because somebody got theirs blown away in the NAM or in the sand pile in the 90s, uh, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 21 episode, you see. And... I just don't get it that that's any way of showing any kind of pride. What I look at when I see is an abdication of what African-Americans, Afro-Americans, Black Americans went through in the 60s. We went through a lot where everybody was down on our case, but we got Black power. I'm Black and I'm proud. But if we had a Black pride parade and we ran it like you did a gay pride parade all of the participants will be running around in black minstrel face wearing slave costumes buck dancing to banjos and harmonicas which some do like they did in ferguson all those folk from the black caucus which was very embarrassing uh and, and it's just not done you get people showing a caricature of something that actually is an abnegation of what they're supposed to be talking about. Like Alexander the Great, great general statesman from antiquity. Brilliant man. He's gay. But I mean, what do you want to go off on? He liked to get it up, you know, to so-and-so, or he liked to swing the other way. What's that got to do with what he did that was great? Same thing with Julius Caesar. They had a saying the Romans did about Julius Caesar. Uh, all men should watch their wives because Caesar would make all men's wives his own. But Caesar would not mind being wife to any man. So we still use his calendar. So what has that got to do with anything uh does George like it doggy style or because he has no teeth? Does he know that real well so the ladies like it? Do we push that as part of George Washington's attributes? I think we're forgetting you know? what I think we're forgetting what identity is supposed to be, you know. Exactly. I, think, I don't think that's that's identity. And, and then the other thing, too, I worked for EEOC, and I know there was all kinds of hell when it started off 50 years ago. Resistance in the marketplace, in the workplace, you just did not mention sexuality. You didn't have pictures of nudie cuties, women in bikinis and other stuff. You didn't talk about sex on the job. So if everybody else is restrained from talking about normal heterosex on the job, why do these guys get to advertise their brand of sexuality on the job? Seems a little bit hypocritical to me, doesn't it? I think it's more about politics and less about the issues at, at hand, you know? I think what I listened to 55 years ago in 1966 on UCLA's campus has come to the fore. 
they were advocating that the people who were into this anti-man thing start working toward a 25-year plan, a 50-year plan, a 75-year plan, and a 100-year plan. And what they were talking about doing was slowly but surely with the propaganda getting people to alter the way they thought about stuff. So these things became looked at as normative so that the targets of the propaganda started using the verbiage of the propaganda to describe their landscape and worldview. That way you knew it was going on. So what's going on is the anti-man thing was pushed by the lesbian crowd that hated men, the feminist crowd that hated that they weren't men, the gay crowd that hated uh, or feared men, the beta crowd, soy boy crowd, or the girly boys that Schwarzenegger would call them, they hated the fact that they couldn't make it as men. And then you got an additional ballast in the mix with the anti-war group that said war is a man thing. So the way to stop war is to change the way boys are raised to men. Raise them like girls so they emote, they cry, they shout. They let it all hang out instead of being so uptight and trying to be under self-control. We wouldn't have any more war. Hey, man, we just need to change the way the boys get raised, man. Raise them like girls, man, so they get emotive, man, and they want to have love, man, instead of war. Uh, this doesn't work. So, I mean, that group kind of fell by the wayside. There's no draft anymore. And, you know, people don't focus anymore like they used to, so they don't get a year-long, all-expense-paid tour of sunny Vietnam. It had a way of lending focus to the day-to-day -day activities of a person, of a young lad coming along who was uh, not too anxious to see the flora and fauna exhibited in South Vietnam. But it's a reality. So they pushed this stuff for a 50-year period, and now it has become our norm. Now it is the way we look at things without realizing that there was another way of looking. See, this thing about men, women and children in the lifeboat first, it takes a lot to be out on the Titanic. It's freezing. There's nobody around to rescue you. It's pitch dark. There's an iceberg that just took your bottom out. You're sinking. And it takes a lot to say, ma'am. Please be my guest. You and your children have my place in this lifeboat. I'm going to drown. That takes a lot. And a lot of people these days feel too entitled to what they have, too accustomed to and acclimated to their entitlements to understand that they're only worthy of it if they're willing to defend it, that they're willing to push what is necessary so these entitlements remain so that the safety bubble in which they find themselves today does not quickly evaporate. The People's Republic of China, by the way, in January implemented an officially, well, an official basically man up campaign. You know, there's some thoughts about that, too, when you talk about China and they, uh, you know, they have a lot of funding that comes into the entertainment industry here in this country. So maybe uh, 
maybe they're trying to man up other their own country while they man down ours. <laughs> exactly. Some people don't get that. You spoke truism, sir. That's well, truism. It, that's the conspiracy theory, but it makes a lot of sense when you look at it. Look at James Bond. How long has uh, Western Europe, even the Russians, been enamored of the James Bond franchise? 70-some years? That's reality. We've got the CIA. They had the KGB, and before that, the NKVD. Brit, the Brits have MI6. The Israelis have Mossad. Saudis have Saudi counterintelligence. You know, they've got a lot of stuff. This is a reality. You promote dysfunction in your enemies and promote functionality in your own people. Unless you uh, promote it in your own people to uh, <laughs> promote your own agenda. Because you're selfish, because you have a hidden agenda, and right. you don't want to be confronted by being a shown to be a coward by not being willing to do your part. Right. So you step up to the plate. You'll turn it back. No, I don't want it. No, step up. Or you'll turn on the wall. I don't want to get on the wall. Well, too bad. You're going to be on the wall. Somebody shoot him first, use up some of your bullets, and then get to the rest of us. But we're going to be on this wall. So wh where do we go from here? What do we What do we do about it? I mean, this is the mess that we're in now as a culture. Well, I call it the hood thing. We need a new hood. Manhood, womanhood, childhood. When you protect womanhood, manhood, and childhood, you can protect the neighborhood. When you get a neighborhood, you can get all the rest. We need to make those things first and foremost. We need a new organization called NORMS, N-O-R-M-S. What is NORMS? Normal Orientation and Reform in Media Sexuality. So these warners tell us when our children sit down to watch this stuff that they're going to have promiscuous, blatant sexuality. Maybe we don't want our kids to watch it. Who's this to say we can't have it? I mean, you could say we don't want our kids to be exposed to this kind of history. Who's to say you can't opt out of having this particular mindset being taught to your children? What is it with having three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds talked to by drag queens? That gets inside their minds. So when they're 70-some years old like me, they still think about what they got in the second and third grade. I can remember most of the Walt Disney songs we got when I was in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Well, a lot of those, what, they took them off the air now. One of them, Uncle Remus. We had to memorize that in the second grade, third grade. Hmm. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. There was a white guy in Atlanta in the 1870s. He wrote about Uncle Remus. Uncle Remus was a former slave who was mad at the Union Army for coming along and freeing him. He was mad at old General Sherman. So why did you free me? I had a happy, good life where I could hang around with burr fox, burr bear, burr rabbit, burr rooster, burr duck, burr goose, and all the birds. Brother, whatever. 
and I didn't have to work. Somebody took care of me. Now I got to fend for myself. The worst, most bigoted, biased, blatant nonsense you ever want to hear. But we had to learn that in second grade. Now, every now and then, when I see something, I say, boy, ain't that a zippity dude I day. <laughs> and I'm 74 years old. So it, it made an impact. Why are they teaching these kids? What are they showing these kids? A burlesque of womanhood. It's insulting to womanhood. Women, the women I know, and I know a lot of them, and my dating group is from 75 on down to 40. I don't know too many of them that go around acting like harlots, but what do they do with the drag queens they show these kids? Does grandmama look like that? Hope not. So what are you doing? And then the thing that gets me, I got a personal tale about this. Before COVID-19 hit, I was walking through the parking lot of one of these big box uh, hardware stores, Lowe's, I think it was. And somebody said, Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe. And I looked up and there was a beautiful young lady. She looked be about 18 or 19, which she was. I didn't recognize her. She had her elbow up in a cast with a strut going down to her waist. I said, she said, Uncle Joe, I'm so-and-so's granddaughter. I said, oh, baby girl, I haven't seen you in years. Last time I saw you, you must have been 10 or 11. I said, yeah. I said, your grandfather brags to me about you being in martial arts. What happened? Well, Uncle Joe, I got a scholarship you know, to this major university for wrestling, full contact wrestling. I said, yeah. So we had a tournament and we had to wrestle these boys on the other team. I said, I'm not going to wrestle him. He'll kill me. So, well, if you don't wrestle him, you'll lose your scholarship and the team will forfeit. So I had to wind up wrestling one of these boys and another one of my friend girls had to wrestle a boy. She got three ribs broken in a broken jaw. Jaws wired now. And I said, well, what happened to you? She said, I got a compound fracture and I've had three operations and my arm still isn't right. She broke down crying. She said, Uncle Joe, I can't do my homework because I got to take these pain meds and I can't think straight with them. And it hurts so bad, what am I going to do? So I said, you know, that is just not right. See, when this feminist thing started about women in sports, they had a very fair and equitable argument, which was all of these boys get to play sports and get a free college education. Why can't the girls play girls' sports and get a free college education? Well, it's not fair to come up with boys' you know, having boy sports, girls having girl sports, and then tell the girls that these failed boy athletes get to compete and get all the scholarships and all the trophies, and they get nothing except beat up and brutalized. That's not fair. My sensibility as a man is offended. Why don't we have a trans league? Damn having a trans league, if you can't make the varsity, sit your ass up in the bleachers and cheer with everybody else. And don't go out there trying to play girls cheerleader. Be one of the boys that throws the girls up and catches. Then don't nobody want to watch you switch. You go back in behind the bleachers. I don't understand it, man. I, and I and I don't. And I'll say this: like you know, if 
I have a, I have a friend that I knew when she was a young lady and now she's uh, she's a man. And if I saw this person in the grocery store, if I didn't know, I wouldn't know. You know, I, it, it, she looks like a man, but I know she's not because I know. And so when I talk to this person, I try to be respectful. I call her by her new name. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, be polite, but ultimately she's just wrong. She is. And I'm nice. You're nice. I assume we're reasonable people. We behave ourselves and have appropriate deportment. But I don't know how many homicide trials I had in front of me where somebody masqueraded and defrauded the other person into believing it was something they weren't. And then there's a corpus delicti that gets proved at trial. Uh, the outline around which this chalk got drawn and the general defense was temporary insanity. Well, you know, I don't know what happened. It's just when it hit me what it was, I just saw red and I don't remember anything after that. And they got acquitted. That's a reality of human nature. It's called jury nullification, but it's a reality. So tread lightly when you want to go do that. We don't like false advertising, you know. Well, I know I'm not advocating anybody to go out and break the law, but there are people that are less tolerant than others. Plus, it's like one of the things invariably they always testified to. Why did that person pick me as being somebody that would be susceptible to this? What is he saying about my manhood that I would go for this? Yeah. And then I got a friend, Joe, when he came back, said, Joe, man, I was flying to Atlanta. I was in the airport and I was listening in this hashtag me too stuff in my head, but I had to go over and say something. This was the most beautiful woman I thought I'd ever seen. I got up and went over and it turned out it was a boy. <laughs> Were you a little embarrassed after that? I asked him. It wasn't me. He was just telling the story. We were all oh, sitting okay. down drinking beer one night. He just <laughs> said, hey, man, I walked over. I thought he was the finest woman I'd ever seen in my life. Turned out to be a boy. I got you. <laughs> well, that's what they say. You're supposed to look for the Adam's apple. I think they get those surgically removed now. I guess you can go join the military and Biden will sit there and help you get to removal. Speaking of money, hmm. the operation to convert somebody doesn't include the time they spend recuperating and in rehabilitation, the multiple operations. And the sequence of operations cost what one rhino mine-resistant vehicle cost. A rhino, depending upon how it's configured, can seat between six and 12 soldiers. The main cause of casualties from the sand pile these days is IEDs, improvised explosive devices. Blows off feet, legs, faces, body parts. And these kids come back maimed, mutilated, and in body bags. So why in the hell is somebody getting their freak on more important than buying all of the rhinos you can? I don't get it. I don't understand it either. I, and, you know, and that's the other thing that people don't talk about when they talk about this stuff is a lot of people have a lot of regret with it later. You know, there's a lot of depression and, and suicide and mental illness that comes as a result later of making these decisions. And uh, Gay Rights Manifesto of 1977, Clause 6, State Action. Remove age as a factor in sexual consent. They want to prey on these children. 
So the idea is if you push this, you get drag queens talking to youth. Then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, they feel they know everything. They're not old enough to buy tobacco, whiskey, alcoholic beverages, get a driver's license or sign contracts, but they can make irrevocable life decisions. I want to get snipped. Mm -mm. Keep your hands off. We can't talk about normal sex in school. Why should we talk about the other kind? Ain't what's that got to do with anything? Well, and and really, it's not age appropriate to talk about it anyway. You know, I'm mean, keep your bedroom kids. business in the bedroom, not somewhere else. Don't conjoin it with your day to day activities, especially don't conjoin it with children's day to day activities. You were in the show business thing, and I know everybody's always talking on the internet about how uh, a lot of the Hollywood folks are into some of that too. There is that. Did you see any of that when you were, I mean, not personally with your own eyes, obviously, but look every day I take 15 years. I had to put up with it. You have somebody that straight said, judge, do something about this. Listen, listen to what I'm listening to. And they clip the mic in so you could hear what's going on. They didn't know there was a live mic and you could hear that. It's like, man, wait a minute. Stop. Everybody stop. What? Stop. None of you in here are high enough on the food chain to fire me, so go to hell. We're not taping another damn thing until what you're doing up there in the booth clears up. Hmm. What are you talking I hear you. Now, you want me to call names? I can get you fired. Now, stop it. Crazy. Oh, let me tell you what they did to me. Is 1998, the month is November. The show is about a month and a half old. It was big ticket television had it then before Paramount got it through Viacom and then CBS through Viacom. Okay, I'm in my early 50s. I'm a bachelor. I'm having a good time with all of these pretty women up in this five-star hotel. So I'm dancing around having a good time with all of these starlets and soap opera stars and everything. So I ran into a woman that I knew. We sat down. We started talking. She got up, excused herself for the, to the ladies' room. She was gone a while. I thought she left me, but she came back. And she said, excuse me, do you know that guy over there in the gray suit? I said, yeah. She said, he walked up and offered me $2,000 in cash if I'd signed this note saying you tried to molest me. So we went around, the two of us, and tried to encounter all these women that I danced with, and we got statements from every one of them that this fool had done that. Well, myself and my publicist, a fine young lady, we came up with a plan. So we filed these step-by-step -step affidavits under seal with human resources detailing how we were inventing this fictitious woman and what this fictitious woman was going to know about. So sure enough, about six weeks later, we got a complaint or letter from this fictitious woman over in Human Resources. They wanted me, what do you have to say about this? Blah, blah, blah. I said, about what? I said, first off, fool, I quit. Now I'll explain that. What? I said, I quit. Go to hell. And by the way, have Human Resources bring over box number so-and-so-and-so-and-so. They did. Now open it. Sealed, isn't it? 
what do you find? And when they started opening, it was step by step detailed what we were doing, what they said, what was reported back. Said, now nah, I got you trapped. Nobody in that group was there in six weeks. I was there for 14 more years. See, that's the way they wrote. They're low down, low life, and they sit there and they giggle at each other about how many times they've stabbed each other in the back with knives. In the real world, that would be, no, man, you don't do that to people. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you had kind of a plan to cover yourself so they couldn't uh, bring false accusations well, against you. See, I was a grown man. I was in my 50s. I'd been dealing with criminal law, civil law, trial law, people law for years. So it isn't like I started off on this when I was a late teenager or early 20s where, oh, I've always wanted to be. I never even thought about Hollywood. That was an accident of circumstance. That's because I had the last one on that James Earl Ray, Martin Luther King case and some sentencing things I was doing and the reduction in recidivism that I was achieving. So that brought me to national notoriety, not any fascination with Hollywood. See, Hollywood is a cesspool, but some places in the cesspool are sumps. And I got that from a previous executive director who wasn't from this country, but he told me to watch out for it. And he was right. I listened. And that's the way it is. So they are what they are. And they brag about it. And by the way, the Oscars and the Emmys, they're a fraud. If you want to find out who's going to win an Oscar or an Emmy, you can go on the LGBTQ site a week before the Oscars and the Emmys, and they'll tell you. It's invariably somebody who's done something to further the cause. Like a few years back, they had James Cameron up for Best Picture of the Year with Avatar. Number one box office all-time monster. It also had Titanic and Abyss. Well, he was up for best picture of the year. He didn't win. Hurt Locker did, which is one of the lousiest war movies I've ever watched. Why did it win? Well, LGBTQ told you why. Because the producer and director of Hurt Locker was James Cameroon's recently divorced wife. And she had come out the closet as a lesbian. So it was time for her to be rewarded for her courage. Now, they don't like James Cameroon in Hollywood, even though he makes them a lot of money. Money. See, Cameroon, Mr. Cameroon's real life person. He started out as an oceanographer. And from what I understand, he did documentaries to finance his ocean exploration. He holds the record for the second deepest dive in history to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Two U.S. Naval officers hold the record from 1960, but all by himself solo. Cameroon did that later. When he explored the Titanic and the Bismarck, he was doing undercover stuff for the U.S. Navy. That was his thing. He's a real live badass. But he wasn't fake, so he didn't go in there with that attitude. So give him the award for the number one box office movie of all time. No, they gave it to one of the worst. Both as a war movie, both in concept, execution. The direction was pathetic. The script was pathetic. The whole damn thing was embarrassingly inept. But they rewarded him. 
So people get Oscars and Emmys now, not because of the performance where it counts, what people want to see when they go pay their good money at the box office, but what furthers the LGBTQ cause. Right, or whatever agenda they're trying to push. Well, yeah, well, that's the main agenda. Basically, it's anti-man. I don't care if you're gay. That's your damn business. But a lot of gay folk don't like LGBTQ because it's a cult. That's like everybody that's a Christian isn't in love with Jim Jones. Right. You know, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's the controversial part, but it's America. It's just we need more people to deal with what they ought to be doing rather than what they can get away with doing. You talked about what we do where it matters the most. I think you were saying basically is we need to teach our kids right from wrong. We need to keep our eyes on them. I think that's what you were saying is the most important thing, right? That's it. Home training. We need home training. And see, I look at kids and I look at them and say, what the devil happened here? Did anybody train this child? Why do you expect this kid to act appropriately when you are out in public with him or her and that kid won't even act appropriately at home because you didn't train them. Oh, and then you mentioned this, the pronoun, uh, him, he, she, or it. And that's what I'm going to do. If you want to see how ludicrous it can get, just take, take two or three random paragraphs out of any book, nonfiction book, and try to change the program pronouns to read like some kid. I'm nine and I'm a day. Well, kid, I don't even know who your na- what your name is. Unless you want to write your pronoun on your forehead, I'm not going to remember it. Right. And I'm not going to do bad English. What am I supposed to do? You're not a royal plural we so what is it supposed to be they is coming to dinner that's bad english he is coming to dinner she is coming to dinner they are coming to dinner not they is so you can forget it <laughs> i don't like it make me do it <laughs> exactly you know we can we can find a balance maybe where we show respect but at the same time no it's know. not respect you got you're right. You're three right. or four percent of the population trying to co-opt the language, trying to ruin English so nobody knows what the devil you're talking about anymore. No, you don't have that license. You That's do it. it conform with everybody else. They're called social mores. You go anywhere in the world, air traffic controlled uses English because people can understand it. You don't need to confuse it any further by saying I'm an it or I'm a they or whatever the hell that is. Well, tattoo it on your head because I can't even remember your damn name. I know I'm not going to remember your pronoun because of the tens of thousands of people I'm acquainted with. I sure as hell don't have any reason to remember your insignificant ass. And yes, insignificant. I'm sorry if your mama thinks you're all this and that. I don't because I don't know you. Fair enough. So you look like a he, so therefore you are a he. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. <laughs> Fair enough. And you don't look like you're going to pretty up enough to be a beautiful swan. <laughs> Duckling. <laughs> Hate to be cold, but you know. No, hey. Women and children in the lifeboats first. 
There's a couple of questions I like to to bring my interviews to, and I, I kind of ask this to all my guests. And the first one is this: If uh, little Joe Brown, little Joe Brown, were to walk in the room and you had the opportunity to tell him something, what would you tell him? Well, little Joe Brown is thirty something, so and the other one is about forty, so it's a little late to tell. But I just say, man, the hell up and do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, how you're supposed to do it, and as you're supposed to do it. Make where you live a better, safer, more secure place filled with economic prosperity, sense of purpose, cause, dignity. And some understanding of obligation. If it looks like there's no daylight at the end of your tunnel, rejoice because that gives you an opportunity to be a hero because you get to slay all the fire breathing Gila monsters that are setting flame and smoke to the tunnel that is blocking egress to the rest of the people you are responsible for. Clear it out. That's your job. And maybe somebody will remember you two days after you did. The youngest one of my kids got a beautiful granddaughter that I keep telling him, you better practice your stuff so you can make sure she doesn't run into a freak. That's not fair. Yeah, it is fair. Your job now. Yep, yep. The, the other question, and I guess it's probably even the same question, and that's what advice do you have for my listeners? So, so the guys that are listening Man right up. now. Man up. Makes you feel good. You see, don't have to worry about your motivation. Oh, I don't have any cause. I have no purpose. Yes, you do. Look in the mirror and what you see in the mirror when you're shaving, brushing your hair, brushing your teeth, that's the person you're answerable to. When you look at that person, do you feel pangs of guilt for not doing something you're supposed to do? You have pangs of guilt for doing something you shouldn't have done. Did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you not do what you weren't supposed to do? So if you can satisfy that guy in the mirror and you have trained that guy in the mirror, then you'd be all right. Life will be interesting and you will have exciting times. Well, I can't tell you how much I've really appreciated this conversation with you. You've got some fantastic fantastic advice and uh, a really interesting perspective. And as I told you before we started, uh, you've earned the right to have whatever opinions you want to have. And well, I, I, they call me judge. My ex-wives even called me judge. You know, that's the interesting thing friends do. It's just sometimes when you earn the title, people say, well, you walk the walk, talk to talk and do the deed. So, yeah. But being what you are is not something that's just work time. That's 24-7. And I'm sorry, sometimes I can't get off that horse. You have to keep riding it. There are things that you have to do, things that people need you to do. And I get away with something that makes me chuckle all the time. Why are you so judgmental? That was my job for the majority of my adult life. Being judgmental. That's what I did. Ah, it even <laughs> says in the New Testament that I can do that. I'm an exception. <laughs> judge not least be judged unless you are. Thou art. I said, yeah, there you go. There you go. I'm one of those people. <laughs> and what I delivered, like folk like to hear, I delivered what they called an allocution. 
That is the denunciation of the miscreant by the judge to convey the ire of the community for the transgression upon the law, dignity, and public principle. I think that's what people liked the most about your show when you were on there is that you would do that. You would set people straight. Well, considering other than recently, Judge Wapner, yours, and even including him, I had more experience than anybody else that's been one of these TV judges. Some of the TV judges never had been judges, actually. Several of them. But they auditioned, they got the parts, they were doing Hollywood with me. Every time Hollywood would get to Hollywood, I'd pull out this 23-page written opinion by the California Supreme Court. Everybody, you read page so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. It says I'm in charge as long as it's run like I say it's got to be run. It's okay. If it's not, all of you can go to jail and be civilly liable to an agreed party. Now, listen, that's the California Supreme Court. I bet you they didn't like that, though. Oh, they hated it. <laughs> They hated it with an intense purple passion. Like I said, I appreciate having you on the show and the conversations with you. And uh, I I really, I think our listeners are going to really enjoy it as well. And uh, if they want to, I know you've got a Twitter handle, right? You kind of interact a little bit on there. So if they can follow you there. I do not have a blue check. They don't believe I'm me, but I am on Twitter at Judge Joe Brown TV. You can also dial in when we do a syndicated show that we record on Fridays at 929-477-1167. And I've got a product line. If you want some great barbecue sauce and there will be spices and other things going along with it, Judge Joe Brown Barbecue. JJBBBQ.com. You can order it online. We're picking up the delivery time. It's pretty quick, depending on where you live and what your delivery method is. And it's some good stuff. We will be having seasoning. We already have chicken links that are coming out. There will be this beyond meat stuff that will be links. And we have recipes and all sorts of good stuff. JJBBQ.com. There we go. Awesome. Check that out. And you can sure catch the show several times a week on cable, and I still get residuals. So I like to seek the lawyers and legal staff on CBS so I get my money when I'm supposed to. <laughs> I appreciate One having you on the show. And I'm out of here. I got to go. This has been Joe on the show. Eat to the tea, baby. Come fly with me up, up, up into the ionosphere. I go have no fear as long as the judge is here. Step back. I give no slack as I go into my act. Get down. Brown has come to your town. Notice the soles of my feet do not rest upon earth, but they float several centimeters above the crowd. I have come as promised and prophesied. If you were a woman, I would say, touch me. Verify that your finest senses, dreams, imaginings, and hopes have come true and manifest in the flesh. I am. This is Joe B. Getting out of here. It's been good being with me. I'm out. Judge Joe is on the go. Now, let me check out on that one. <laughs> Thanks, sir. I appreciate it very All much. All right. Hey, like I said, Judge Joe Brown has earned the right to his opinions, and I respect his opinions 
quite a bit, and I think I agree with probably more of them than I disagree with, to be honest with you. But regardless of that, here's a man who has dedicated his life to serving the community, to making a difference in the world, and to pursuing justice. This is a good thing. So listen, if you want to support Judge Brown, you can uh, follow him on Twitter. You can buy his barbecue sauce. Check out the work he's doing. Also, guys, please make sure you support Manlyhood by going to manlyhood.com store, where you can get some Manlyhood t-shirts and apparel. You can get some of the books and resources we've created. And we have more resources on the way that I think you're really going to like. I'm working on some really exciting stuff. In the meantime, check out what's there and go to the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook. It's our private Facebook where it's men that are helping men be better men. So you can hop on the group. You can interact engage, pay attention to what's happening there because that's honestly really the heart of what's happening at Manlyhood is the relationships that are forming in our Facebook group. I love you guys. I care about you guys and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website manlyhood.com for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.